Mr. Fox, how are you? I am doing very well, thank you. I'm going to turn on the recorder. Um, and this is amazing. I'm able to walk about in the world much more easily. You know why? Not that you care, but do you know why? No, tell me why. Because I finally joined the modern world and got a pair of AirPods Pro. And they are actually rather nice, I have to say. And it's much nicer than the, the you know, the bulky overhead, over-ear headphones I had with the cable and the adapter. And it's, uh, there's, there's a reason why people like wireless devices. When they work, they work beautifully. So the key there is when they work. Have they so far worked for you? I know you've only had them a couple of days. Uh, was it Saturday? You no, well, them, so. they, yeah, I mean, they, they, they work perfectly well. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, the only kind of encumberment is, is the is the handoff because you know I use them with an, a phone while I'm on a shuttle out and about in the world. But then when I'm come down to work, I want them uh, to be attached to my computer. So you can do it, but there's no kind of easy way to say I'm done, or for it to say I prefer this device when it's in range because oftentimes you know the, the you know I'll be out with my phone and there's no laptop anywhere near. And the times when I have my laptop nearby, it's because I'm working on it, and that's when I want audio from there. So fractional app, Apple, how do I say the Fractional Apple listener, foul. <laughs> Please make that so. I've got a feeling there is a, a, there is a little Mac app that is designed for making pairing the um, AirPods um, with your Mac easier um, than something else but i can't remember what it's called we'll have to have a, hmm. well, a fine effort maybe fractional fine. fractional listener with full control of their memory can can do can uh can call in and let us know uh air, air buddy <laughs> it's called there's an app called air buddy air buddy, air buddy which i think is designed uh-huh. to um uh help uh make you know just picking up connection to your uh airpods better now i've never tried it because i don't own airpods um i tried the initial ones but they wouldn't stay in my ear properly uh, i did try yours on saturday you did allow me to place um your brand new headphones in my dirty ears um and you didn't have to do too much fumigation afterwards and i have to say initially they did feel comfortable and i've heard from people who run and everything that they don't fall out but my, my trouble is that i just lose headphones and to spend 250 bucks on something that yeah my my average set of headphones lasts maybe two to three months before i break them lose them do something stupid with them i flush to set down the toilet um you know i i lose one of them or whatever so you know i have a a policy of buying cabled headphones because they're cheaper you know uh, uh, but yeah so i spend uh 50 bucks on a set of cabled headphones i can get far better quality headphones not great, but better quality headphones than spending 50 bucks on wireless headphones. But, you know, that's probably the most I'm currently prepared to spend on the basis of how often I break them. Now, I don't know. If I had a, I could always argue myself, if I had a $250 pair of headphones, would I just be more careful? Because I have a set of sort of like $300 over-the-ear headphones, um, some B&O headphones, uh, uh, which, are, which are really nice, and I'm very careful with them. They always go back in their case and everything. So maybe... If they were more premium, I would look after them, but I don't know. So maybe I'm just not the right person for them. But you obviously are. You obviously are a man of quality and class. <laughs> Something like that. Or I paid $200 for psychotherapy to help me uh, prevent abandonment issues for my consumer electronics. <laughs> and and uh, so, that plus $50 will get you a good sound. Excellent. Excellent. So 
what have you been what have you been up to other than um sticking new things in your ears <laughs> well i think this is now time for the scotty 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 section oh, of our that program was really loud. You, even more enthusiastic than normal oh are you saying that this time for it? you haven't actually done it yet yeah so okay ready scotty 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 guess what guess what guess what i thought your preparation for scotty 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 was more enthusiastic than the actual scotty scotty if i'm honest but uh, there we are what joe what john i cannot guess as always I was trying to be nice to poor Sam I am who has to deal with that audio spike and then this low audio. <laughs> but uh are you sensing that I'm more manly than usual? <laughs> I, I I really have no idea how to respond to that. I am for once absolutely lost for words on how to how to answer that question. <laughs> I didn't well, think it was possible you, it, for you to be more manly than usual. <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but the reason is, is because I, I made my first Swift reusable component yesterday, and I'm proud of it. And uh, I, I'm, you know, because this is the ongoing uh, saga of, of, you know, breaking, well, I wouldn't say break all our bad habits, getting used to, to feeling like you're getting started with a brand new, you know, it, I thought I would be just a, a very simple transition, and everybody said, nope, it's not, because if nothing else, if, if you want to write Swifty code, there are conventions that you have to follow, and you have to kind of let go of the the crutch of using, you know, foundation classes. So, yeah, you can use NSArray methods because they're at the, the tip of your fingers, and you're just used to doing string manipulation with, you know, components separated by string, joined by string, and then... and. and but then uh, it's, you know, that's not very Swifty. So then you have to kind of, you know, Google the the equivalent of that. That's a phrase. That's a string formatter I've, I've used so many times over the last, you know, 12 hours. What is the Swift equivalent of so, such and such? Um, and I have to say, actually, I, I won't say it out loud in public, but I, I really, I, I like the end result. And so this was the case where I was, you know, wanting to, to replace a component that I built some time ago, which was necessarily more complicated than 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 what I need right now, and that's the result of an A/B test, right? So you 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 test something, you have to have lots of different cells, so your components become much more complicated usually, and so then you 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 know end up thinking, okay, well I can rewrite it, or mostly I can kind of put it on a massive diet, cut down everything, which I did. And then uh, I said, well, if I'm going to do that, I may as well just start it from, from Swift to, to figure out the interop and all these other issues and ha- allow my colleagues who are more experienced to shit all over my code um, and to, to, to help, you know, help me through it when they hear me cursing under my breath about the errors that Swift Lint has, has found and, and aren't really kind of obvious how to fix them. Um, but I persevered and I, I made it work. And in the end, what made it kind of, what made it a good good candidate for this thing is that one is is the rank simplicity of it because this was for for displaying tags uh, in a view and uh when we did an a b test some time ago we had different cells with different numbers you know numbers of lines of tags and some which could be tapped and different styling for it and so on and so forth so you know the, the the simplest way to handle that complexity was you know a stack view of stack views um, and using UI buttons, um, which could be styled in different way, and even if they weren't going to be used as buttons, they still have a text label in there. And I thought that was simpler than saying if you don't need a button, you know, create a UI label. So if you're going to go to the bother of having, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a single object which you're going to copy and, and use, may as well make it the one class that can handle both cases. So it, it was 
you know, I think it was an elegant solution for what it needed to be. But in the end, there's a lot of overhead with having stack views of stack views and UI buttons are, are a heavy class if all you want to do is display some some text. And so, you know, this component, which when I made it, I was so proud of and said, you know, everybody should be able to use this. And then, you know, in, in other contexts, it didn't really work very well because in, in, a, in a scrolling feed, for example, where you've got cell reuse and you've got a lot of, you know, you're, you're trying to shave every millisecond possible, the overhead of stack views and the overhead of UI buttons is more than you really need. So, uh, you know, my colleagues, uh, you know, experimented with doing things with just, well, let's just use plain UI labels and let's just, you know, instead of doing it with archived objects, which get, you know, copied, we'll just programmatically lay out labels and, and add the constraints and use every trick possible to to kind of bulk apply the constraints. And that indeed shaved milliseconds and, and that was helpful. And then I thought about it a little bit more, and, I, and, and, and oh, sorry, you know, I should say that the, the separator between the tags was a UI view. It was done that way so that you'd have complete flexibility about everything you'd want to do, but the default thing was just to take that view, turn it into, turn its layer into a circle and fill it with a color. In other words, you kind of make what looks like a little bullet, which you can apply color to. So when I had the time to think about it a little bit more, is in the back of my mind saying, yeah, we should just, just use a UI label subclass because you can just do this effectively with a with a run of text and, and you can be as complicated as you want with a separator if you want. You know, we talked about that earlier. You can you can take any image you want and make it as a text attachment, but in reality there are Unicode glyphs for bullets because uh, the world of, of Office productivity software and documents is full of bulleted lists. Um, and you can use the internet to find the Unicode <laughs> character for 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 that string. Um, and so then I ended up making something that was just wildly simpler. And it, it would be an unfair comparison to say, you know, went from this number of, of lines of Objective-C to, to this number of lines of Swift because you were cutting out a bunch of complexity. But I'm, I'm quite confident that even if, if you, I had rewritten it purely in Objective-C, you still would have saved a bunch of lines, if, if nothing else, because of, of the more compact nature of Swift, which once you get over the, the, the hill, you know, if you begin to really appreciate. So, um, yay, Swift. So the next job is to replace that with a Swift UI component then? Well, yes, I'm sure that would be possible, except for, um, it's funny you should mention that. So, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we, we play around, everybody's enjoying playing around with Swift UI, but we're not going to be able to ship with it for a while. But yeah, I suppose that would be a fun thing to do. I think that the, the intermediate step was just to, to make a, a playground or a tester app for all these little components as we build them. So I'm, guess, so I'm guessing cool you can't use uh, SwiftUI because you support older than iOS 13. Correct. Yeah, that's probably what a, 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 a lot of people's reasons. Which also, um, you, you you hear about a lot of people trying it. Um, the the general opinion I'm seeming to be pick up from it is when it works, it's great. Um, but when it doesn't work, it's pretty obscure. And in some ways, it reminds me of Backbone uh, of Swift 1. Um, people complain these days about Swift error messages, but boy, Swift 1, they were like the most arcane, sort of clang, weirdy, you know, ritualistic error messages, normally having nothing to do with anything you'd ever recognized in your life before. And, you know, over the last, um, uh, yeah, was it five, five, six years? You know, the error messaging in Swift, there's still occasions when you think, what the heck are you talking about? But on the whole, the error messaging in Swift is um, 
a lot better now. And obviously the fix me's that come with the error messages or the warnings uh, are a lot better now. But I think Swift UI is definitely back in that um, Swift 1 phase of, of error messages, which means when you've... Uh, it's quite hard when you're getting good error messages uh it's easier to spot other problems so for example right now when in swift ui when you're getting arcane error messages are you getting an arcane error message because you've done something wrong or are you getting an arcane error message because there is a bug in swift ui because there are many bugs still in swift ui it's a release one product that's not criticism it's a statement of fact uh yeah so but i think also because maybe because um you know so many people like to support latest os minus one at least um that's probably limited the number of people who are um trying swift ui or, or using swift let's not say trying swift ui but using swift ui in a um production app that ships to more than 10 people exactly because there's always doing your samples and trying stuff up there so maybe um it's gonna be this year is the year of of, of swift ui when people can um you know go back and use it but uh, but then again they have to use it's gonna be interesting if they ship swift ui updates in ios 14 which we have to assume is coming this year um people using ios 13 will still have the old swift ui so yeah i don't know maybe i should i have no idea maybe it's a few years maybe it's going to take it to be a few few os's deep um a bit like swift i mean most people have now tried swift for many swift is now their normal language but it took you know to swift 3 maybe even swift 4 before that started becoming the norm before then you know a lot of people who've been doing objective c before were still doing objective c is is the main thing whereas i would i would say the the this the swing is now definitely towards swift um being the main the main way of developing apps for ios and and, and mac and maybe swift uis could be the same it's going to take a a few years but that i guess will depend on where this sits as an apple technology because sometimes apple introduce a technology it doesn't really go anywhere and so that technology then stays as it is and other times as Apple have done with Swift, they introduce a technology and then they ramp it for everything it's worth and it just gets better and better and better. Um, so I guess that will depend on Apple's um, view on what Swift UI is for. Um, my guess would be I think they're pretty bought into it myself, but yeah, we have to wait and see over the next year or two. I will say one thing, though. I, I feel fully vindicated in in kind of having pushed off writing my first things other than experimental stuff until the the last possible minute because i don't uh, looking back and, and listening to to you know your pain or even remembering when i was converting something from swift 2 to 3 a command line tool um uh, and i remember that pain and and it just it's not worth it it's not where it's not worth it at least to to, to me just because i was working on a project at the time where the, yeah the swift 2 to 3 conversion was tough the swift 1 to 2 conversion wasn't too bad um but at the same time i have to say even though i've been through some of those pains on projects i've now been using swift for like five years um it feels very homely uh whereas for people coming to it now maybe it feels alien uh, i guess people coming to it now will pick it up or become comfortable with it faster because it's now more 
mature already. You're not going through any of its baby steps. I don't know. I don't regret. I don't regret picking up Swift early, um, but equally, I don't think people who haven't even picked it up yet should regret that either, um, because I think uh, both Objective C and Swift are perfectly um, fine for developing uh, Mac and iOS apps. Um, and they each have their strengths, and some you know one is better at some things, and the other is better at others. I think the day will come. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. When there will be something that comes out of Apple that is only accessible in Swift and not Objective C. Um, I, I don't think we're quite ready for that. I would be surprised if we see any of that yet. Uh, but I think that day will come, and it probably won't be that long, would be my guess. I mean, I'm, I'm talking maybe two years' time, three years' time, uh, I, um, not sort of five years' time, ten years' time. That's what I'm sort of thinking anyway. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see. Um, and So you um, you mentioned there as well um, that you were using SwiftLint. Yes, I wanted to talk about that. Uh, I, I am a big fan of SwiftLint. Um, so are you using it with a custom rule set or just the standard rules or how are you, how are you using SwiftLint? Well, we're, we're, we're experimenting because, you know, we are using, I think the, the standard set of rules and the, that we're, we're as a, as a engineering group, we're trying to, to see, is that appropriate for us? Um, and so far so good. I mean, I, I had a little, a couple of moments yesterday where I thought this is a little pedantic, but, but I think that, that, you know, I came into it with a, with as like linters are awesome, but that's because I was using JS lint in, 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 you know, VS code. And by nature of it being interpreted, you get the, you get the results right away, practically as you type and the suggestions seem very, very good. And the auto fix stuff just seems to really work well. Um, and for me, it's, it's, I mean, it's a whole can of worms and we had a kind of a lengthy discussion about it with, with some people on different sides. You know, the, 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 the general feeling has been since you spend more time reading code than writing code, having some type of, of, of consistency helps and consider part of it has to do with formatting, but it's not worth getting into arguments about should you cuddle your brackets or, or not? And, and should you have line limit links and, and so forth and, and conventions for naming variables and so on and so forth. And I think you can get very, very easily caught up in the woods there. And, and, and my, you know, my approach has always been to respect the the formatting and the and the style of the the, the class's author, and also to encourage some some behavior about about class authorship, about kind of taking the time to have a little description and document and, and you know your your code and and being thoughtful about it, realizing that you may get run over by a bus or or need to switch off to something else, and as a kindness to your to your to your future you or or current colleague, you, you know you should follow some conventions about that. And you don't really need a linter for that so much as you need people to talk about it and to provide good examples. On the other hand, especially in a language like Swift, where, you know, the, the earlier you fat catch problems, you find it before the compiler finds it, that's always helpful. But linters can, can I find it a little bit frustrating in that, you know, it, 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 you have to, you have to kind of be aware while you're writing it that, that these little yellow triangles will show up and then you have to decide, do you interrupt your flow while you're you know, creating your method, um, 
or or do you kind of deal with everything as it pops up in, in a kind of game of whack-a-mole or do you, you know, or, or what do you do? And I think what ends up happening is when you have a linter and it kind of, it, it's like a guardrail and, and it just, it for, once you learn how not to, 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 to write code that, that will trigger the linter, well, that's kind of good. But you notice some things like with forced unwrapping as a great example. Like some cases, eventually you you, you want to get rid of them, and there are certainly cases where you kind of can't realistically so. And and, and I don't feel completely you know expert on this, but but you know, Swift being the the land of the early return, it should be very easy for you to to kind of to to return to do a little test. And I, and I like that. It took me a while, and it took my colleagues to show that, but. When you look at how a, a well-structured, you know, Swift method or function should work, it, 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 the linter will help you get there. It's like the little voice inside your head. So I, 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 I'm still fairly, you know, positive about it. Um, and but we'll see, I guess, in another couple of weeks wh- whether the the guardrails have had their effect. Where I just kind of know intuitively to write code that won't, you know, ra- raise a warning, and, and then we'll compile properly. How has it been for you? Yeah, I, I think it. It just helps you to be a good citizen, even when you're in a rush and you don't feel like being a good citizen. Um, I think some of them annoying. It depends. I, I have SwiftLint on in a number of different projects for uh, a number of different people, including Moneywell. We use SwiftLint. Um, the rule set is slightly different in all of them, um, uh, based on, on the requirements. Uh, I think some of the white space rules are a little annoying. I don't really care if there's a couple of trailing white spaces in my comments or, or whatever else. So um, I have one project where they're turned on. I find that a bit annoying. Um, I find the default line length to be a bit short, but I do like a line length one because they can be too long. So I tend to extend it a little bit um, it, it, when I get the choice. Uh, I think the cyclic complexity thing on um, methods where it just says your method's too complicated and it forces you to go back in and break it down um, is really useful. Um, I think insisting that variables are named, you know, variable names are more than three characters is one that we have turned on, Um, especially as you can have um, a list of exclusions from that within the lint file as well. So I think by default we have... um, a b c i variable all variable names must be at least three characters but then we we have an exception for things like db for database and id for because uh, you know everything is got an id field in that we're doing so it doesn't complain about db or id but it will complain about anything else that's two characters mm. um and it just it just reminds you uh, of what's going on um i like the fact that it is easy to disable a rule just for a single line um, when you really don't want to have it apply to that line because you don't want to split it up or something for, for some reason. So the fact you can disable uh, the linter just for uh, one one line is good. I think the fact that um, you can disable the linter for an individual source file is good as well because that means you can turn the linter on in existing code bases which may go mad and then just you know uh, only turn... You, you could go into all your source files and turn it off and then say, you know, the rule is if you go in and make some changes in this file, you also do the linting so you can bring a project up to speed gradually. Um, and I think it's I think it's just good. Um, I think it's probably... I think sometimes it doesn't find warnings 
and then someone else will build the project or you'll build from a clean build and it will find warnings it wasn't picking up before. Um, so you think you've just pushed a, a branch that doesn't have any warnings in and someone will come to do the code review on it. Um, or I think you, I, I call it code review. I think, but didn't you just call it shit all over my code? <laughs> yes. Is that what you call it in Facebook? Yes. Can someone do a shit all over my code for me, please? <laughs> Um, which means, you know, it's, 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 it, they then get a, a bunch of warnings because in most of the projects we work on, we try and get to zero warnings. In, in, if I have my way, I like to have treat warnings as errors turned on. That's not always possible. Um, we can't do that in Moneywell because the, um, we have a whole range of, uh, core data schemas, some of them quite old for migration purposes, but it's still, Xcode still validates the old core data schemas, um, which we can't change because they need to be there for old versions of Moneywell um, for for migration purposes of Moneywell documents. But Xcode gives us constantly gives warnings on them, which is and there's no way of found of disabling those. So that's really quite annoying. Um, but no, on the whole, I I am a fan of it. Um, for a while, we used another one as well. Was it Swift Format? which I think lays out your code for you. So basically Swift Format uses your Swift linter file to adjust all your code to match the rules. Um, but we found it gave a few problems when you, because you would, yeah, it gave us a few problems that it would try and change things after we had, um, in theory, done a commit and whatever. So we took that out after a while. Uh, but the, the concept was quite good. But, um, no, SwiftLint, definitely. Well, now we solve all problems. And it, now, the, the the last thing I would say about my impressions of it is that my experience is that it's slower to, to get to the end product, but faster overall because you have much more confidence in, in, in the end product. That's kind of, the, the, which sounds vague, but I, th- I, th- I think you may know what I'm getting at is that you, you, the, the code is easier to read. There's less complexity of it, even just simple things by not having to have a header file or that everything that you need to see is there in, in, in that one place. And, and it, it, it's the code I find is, is, is easier to understand. And I, I, I have always really kind of rather liked the, the, the verbosity of, of, of Objective C. Um, but I think there, there's the, it. It really is thoughtful, and and I feel like an idiot being you know so late to the game here because people have been having these discussions for years. But uh, you know everybody goes through it, and that, this is what I'm experiencing now. And I think I mean I I I actually quite like the square bracket syntax of Objective C, the messaging syntax. I don't find that hard to read at all. In many ways, I find that easier to read than Swift function calls. Um, it's just it's what your eyes get used to. I think for me, my sort of enjoyment of Objective C um, sort of began to disappear a little bit when um, things like GCD were introduced and the block syntax was introduced, and you started having to have all the arcane symbols to to make all that work in Objective C. And um, you know when callbacks came in is a is a common way of doing things, um, and I think at that point code started looking really unattractive um, and harder to read. Um, so yeah, and I think well, whereas in Swift uh, the block syntax and using dispatch queues for GCD and everything is 
um, incredibly elegant and um, lays out nicely and reads very nicely. So I think with that modern style of coding, um, uh, Swift probably now looks better. Although sometimes I do miss the um, uh, the, the, the square bracketed thing, I think forces you to read it in a different way to just a load of dots. Um, and equally, I was when I used Objective C, I would always use um, I would use dot syntax for properties. Um, I know that was controversial for a while, and many people fell out over it. And, um, you know, Objective C is not relevant anymore. So nobody argues over that now. Um, but one of the ways I did is I would always you know, always use dot syntax for properties because then it was very easy to distinguish between a um, a method call or a message because it was in the square bracket and um, uh, and a property accessor or setter because it was being done with the dot and like, to me that was a distinction I liked to see in the code and help me read the code better. Um, I mean I I know in Swift you have the parentheses on on function calls and um, you don't want properties, but that doesn't quite stand out in the same way to me. It's not distinct enough. Um, so I used to like that. But I think overall, uh, Swift lays out nicely, and Swift, uh, when done well, can can read nicely. Well, Scotty, do you know how this episode has passed? Quickly. Swiftly, dumbass. Ah. <laughs> and there we have our title, Swiftly, dumbass. <laughs> I... Missed that one totally, didn't I? Yes, what a complete incompetent, a complete incompetent numpty. Yeah, and you realize that we've also made it through this episode without having come up with any fishy names. <laughs> Is that going to last, or are we about to do something? No, no. I think that we will just we'll tease that for the next episode. We will cast a net. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, John, you are so. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Well, Scotty. If people want to find you on the internet and 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 soothe your rattled soul after having had to spend you know the last number of minutes with me, where might they do that? Well, they can do that on uh, Twitter. They can get hold of me on as Mac Devnet. Now, I did enjoy a tweet actually talking to Twitter uh, that we had. Um, was it this week or, la- or last week um, from Michael Curtis? Who basically he he thought we mentioned him as a functional <laughs> listener, which we he did. wasn't really listening. <laughs> but he wasn't really listening because he was in the gym. So it was he decided it was his turn to listen, but maybe he'd done too many turns and therefore was listening. But, yeah, this is a new definition, listening but not really listening. No, um, sorry, as, I, as, as I said, kind of like it's a new it's a new level of fractional attention from a fractional listener. It's perfect. Listener. I mean, it's getting you. So fractional attention from a fractional listener. Thank you, Michael. Uh, can we get any lower? <laughs> Can we can we get to a, a you know a, a, another um, decimal place of, uh, well, I of think, not listening? I think we could refer. <laughs> wait, let's, let's, listening altogether. let's look. I mean, we have carbon offsets. Why shouldn't we have attention offsets? Why should there be a secondary market of people paying other people to pay attention to us so they they don't have to and they don't have to feel bad? <laughs> so, John, if anybody wants to let you know how much they weren't listening to you this week, <laughs> why should they do that? Well, they can avoid uh, they can avoid getting in touch with me by by sending me a tweet and where you'll find me on Twitter as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Well, John, this last 30 minutes really has flown by. Um, whether that's because we were excited about something or I don't know, maybe the conversation was so downhill we went faster. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, 
it doesn't matter because no one has heard all of it together. It's like, um, I, I wonder when they're fractionally listening, whether they just like hear one bit and not the next bit or whether every other word drops out because that would be really irritating. There we are. There's different types of fractionality as well. Anyway, thank you for listening partially. <laughs> Until next time, you take care. Thank you.